0: Um, in case you hadn't noticed, it's election time. I don't know how you could have missed that, but it is. Um, And this weekend, we're right between both of the political conventions. We've just had the Republican last week, and I think Tuesday, the Democratic convention starts. Um, And it's a big election. It's a presidential election. And in Minnesota, we have two items on the Constitutional Amendment. So it's a very intense time in this election year. And we're already getting inundated with ads. And one of the fascinating things about all of these ads is you, we're being told how to vote and what is right and what is wrong. The issue becomes who you listen to or opposite. And they're all very good ads, and they're all very appealing, even though they tell you very opposite things. And you scratch your head, and and I like these fact-checker kinds of uh, things where they're saying, Well, well, wait a minute, that's not totally true, and that one's not totally true. And you have all of these voices, which just becomes almost this drowning. And... uh, Part of that becomes, who do you listen to? Who who do you believe what is true? And sort of sifting that all out. I think one of the things that has happened from just years of this process is we have become a little skeptical. No, we've become a lot skeptical. We're, We're not a little skeptical. We're a lot skeptical of all of these claims we hear. And we realize we hear all this, but we're still sifting through and say, well, what's the real truth? Behind all of this. But that's not just true for politics, is it? That's life. Every day we have people telling us their opinions. Telling us something's important or something's wrong or something's right. Or walk in this path or don't go over there. Avoid this, you want one of these. And we have to sort all of that out. What's true? What are we going to believe? What are we going to take into our own life? And what are we going to sort of discount? And say, I'm not so sure I buy that. Well, it's interesting, that's the final topic that Jesus covers in the Sermon on the Mount. And he really has three pieces, and we're going to look at each of those three pieces today. But he's really, in a sense, giving us a warning of, be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you believe. Because as we all realize, who I believe, who I listen to, will influence me. It'll affect my life. It'll affect the choices I make. The conclusions I come to. And so it's interesting that after Jesus has done all his teaching, and talked about so many different subjects, he ends with this final challenge. Now be careful. I'm not always going to be around. I've given you all this teaching, but long after this sermon's over and we've all gone home and we're just living life, he says, be careful who you listen to. And he looks at that in three ways. He gives a couple warnings. And, and his first warning is that there are going to be people who are going to lie to you. Just be upfront. There are going to be people, they may be very convincing, they may come across as sincere Your first reaction must be maybe that, wow, they're really speaking the truth, but the the reality, the truth is, they're lying to you. Now before we look at what Jesus said, there was a verse in Isaiah that I thought was so appropriate for this. And appropriate for the day we live in. There are those who will call evil good and call good evil. Those who put darkness and call it light, and light, and call it darkness. Who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. That is a prophecy about how broken the world is going to get. So, in a sense, that's why Jesus is saying, there's going to be people like this. And so you need to be careful, you need to be thoughtful about who you listen to. As I put it in the sermon what advice we're willing to take and bring into our own lives. And in a sense, that's what Jesus talks about in his first warning. If you turn over to Matthew 7, the first one is in 15 through 20. And we're going to come back two more times, so keep your finger in Matthew 7. But Jesus' first first warning is in these five or six verses. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will be able to recognize them. So there's Jesus' warning that there's going to be people around you that may appear at first uh, impression as very innocent, as very good. Those sheep, those experts, those people who know the truth and urge you to listen to them. But Jesus' warning is... In reality, they're not what they first appear. They're not these sincere people, or they're not these good people, or they're not these people who are committed to truth. They are actually ferocious wolves. They are people who will damage you. People who will lead you into places, and viewpoints, and beliefs, and whatever. that the truth is, you don't want to be there. And they will harm you. Now... What do we do about that? How do we know that? Well, Jesus' point is, look beyond their words to their life. Look at the fruit. And he, and he almost goes overboard repeating how obvious this truth is from nature. And he talks about different kind of plants, and so you don't get grapes from thorns and all that. Then he talks about healthy trees and healthy fruit and sick trees and sick fruit. And he said, it's obvious, isn't it? that if you got good fruit, you got a good tree. If you got grapes, you got a grapevine. And then he turns that all back and says, that's the way people are. This isn't a mystery. This isn't rocket science. But you have to be careful to look beyond words. Look to the fruit. What's happening in people's lives? What's the outcome? How do they treat other people? What about the people who are listening to them and following them? What do you see in their lives? That's how you can discern and know this person is worth listening to. Because you look at the fruit, what's what's left after the talking is over. And that's a real challenge that Jesus gives us. I think a lot of us, we just want to hear the claim and say, Hey, that sounds really good. And he says, you got to take that extra step and say, that sounds really good. Okay, now let's do some research. Let's watch further. Let's delay that decision that says, I'm going to jump in. Before I make that decision, I need to take the time to check the fruit. Watch their life. Watch some others who are around them. What's the outcome of this? Then, he says, make your decision.'" Whether they're sheep or a wolf will become obvious. Well, that's Jesus' first warning. In a second, in a, he gives us a second warning, and this one's a little surprising. It's also about words. But it's about words we say to ourselves. Just as there are people who can deceive us with their words, what Jesus also then says is, but be careful, we can deceive ourselves with our words. In a sense, we can lie to ourselves. That's the one that's not so obvious, but if you think about it, it's just as true. And Jesus would say just as dangerous, just as self-destructive, if we lie to ourselves and we believe it. Let's go back to Matthew 7 and read these three verses. 21 through 23. Jesus is saying, words aren't going to trick me. I am Son of God. I know all things. I am God. You're not going to trick me with your words, your claims. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, look at all the good things I've done for Jesus. And all of those words that we say to others and to ourselves. But you see, I don't think the danger that Jesus is talking about here is how we might trick him. I don't think he was worried about that. He knew that was just not going to happen. What Jesus is concerned about, and the reason he needs us to hear this second warning, is we might trick ourselves. We might tell ourselves often enough, well, I'm a Christian. Look what I've done for Jesus. I gave this, I did this. I'm a Christian. And the person we're fooling Is ourselves. Just as in the first warning. Jesus says what matters is what's in your life. What you're really doing. Did you know me? That's what really matters. Our actions. Not just our words. And we've all been there haven't we? We can tell ourselves that. Or we can always find somebody worse than us. And we say, well, I'm not doing so bad. Uh, I I tell everybody I'm a Christian. I put a sticker on the back of my car. That ought to prove it. And we may end up deceiving ourselves because we're not deceiving Jesus. And that's the danger. That we kid ourselves. Because what matters is what we're living, what we're doing. There's a sports season starting. You may not have noticed a a thing called football. It's sort of taking over the country. College is starting. Pro is starting. Of course, high school's already started playing. The man who... uh, was actually the New Testament professor who preached my ordination, was also a coach at this Bible college I went to. And I'll never forget him saying the most curious thing for him is the best coaches were always in the stands. They always had all the answers to his problems on his team. They just never had to get out and coach. They never had to get out and do it. We all see that, don't we? Everyone one us sits around on Sunday afternoon and analyzes the Vikings game, and if we were out there, we'd fix it. We know how to fix it. We've got it all figured out. This is exactly what Adrian Peterson would do, and this is how I'd coach him, and this is when I'd send him in. This is the play, and the Vikings would have the Super Bowl. We talk a great game. The problem is there's a huge chasm between sitting in my living room, watching a TV and saying what I do, and actually getting out there and doing it. It struck me that that, in a sense, is Jesus' warning. That as Christians, we can sit around and talk a good game. Well, I went to church, or I put something in the offering plate, or I I, I, I got my name on a church roll. We've got these words we use and these cliches we use. And his warning is, don't let that fool yourself. I'm going to look deeper. I'm going to say, did you know me? What was the fruit of your life? What was going on there? Now we always have to handle this carefully. Because as soon as we start talking about this fruit and what we do in our lives, we can just cross a line and we get back to law. And we have to earn our salvation. And, and we know as Christians that's not true. First of all, we can't do enough good things to earn our way to heaven will not get it all right none of us in this room will get it all right we are always going to need the cross and we are going to be saved we're going to get in by grace but what jesus is saying is don't fool yourself i am going to look in your life and say is your faith genuine is it real And James, we could go and read about James because in the book of James, part of what he warns us is if it's real, there will be some fruit. Now, that doesn't mean we earn our salvation, We'll, we'll not get there. But we can't discount Jesus' warning that if it's real, there will be some fruit. There will be more than just words, there will be more than a bumper sticker, more than a name on a church roll. The one thing he focused on, did you know me? Did you talk to me? Did you listen to me? Did you spend time with me? Did you know me? What fruit is in your life? Are there grapes there? As as Paul talked about in his communion meditation, are there some folks who didn't deserve forgiving and you forgave them? That's fruit. Uh, Is there some grace there? Is there some loving and caring for others who you didn't have to care about, but you did? Is there some of that real fruit that's there? And that's what we need to look for in our own lives beyond just the words we use and we say to ourselves. Well, how do we do all this? How do we know who to listen to? How do we speak honestly to ourselves? How do we know where to get advice? Back to the sermon topic. Well, that's how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. He says there is one solution, one source of truth that will never fail you, that will never be wrong. You can always read it and trust it. You can have any fact checker analyze it all they want, and they're going to find out it's 100% truth. And that's Jesus. Because he is not just the wisest man who ever lived. He was God on earth. And so he always spoke the truth, and because of that, we can always listen to him. We may even need to doubt ourselves and say, am I being honest with myself? But we can always be confident in listening to Jesus. Now he makes this point with a parable. It's become a famous parable. Uh, I'm sure everybody in this room has probably heard about it. Two people building their houses. Let's go over and read 24 through 27, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There are one set of teachings that we can always trust and follow, and that's Jesus. It doesn't matter what's popular. It doesn't matter if current experts say this isn't needed or this won't work. Doubt them. Never doubt Jesus. And what he says is right or wrong, this is the path to walk. This is how a marriage lasts, a home works. This is how to be a business person. Never doubt Jesus' teachings. They are that rock. Now part of what Jesus admits is life is going to have storms. It doesn't matter if we're a Christian. It doesn't matter if we love God and God loves us. We live in a broken world and there's going to be storms. Guaranteed. If you're not having them today, rejoice in the sunshine, there's a storm coming. And we've learned that about life, and that's a hard lesson. Because we all, what we want it to be is if I love God enough, I, I, I dodge the storms, they all go around me. Some will go around you and rejoice and say, thank you God, that storm passed by. But don't think you have an umbrella around you, a force field, where all the storms of life are going to dodge you. They're going to come to all of us. So our choice isn't how to get out of the storms. Our our choice is how do we build to survive the storms so our houses don't crash. We've seen that in the hurricane, the flooding. There's storms that just get washed away and buried, and there's other houses that make it. So in a sense, that's what Jesus talks about. Now there's the option of sand, He said, now you can listen to whoever you want. You can listen to yourself. You can take in all kinds of advice, and there's lots of advice today that says this is right, this is wrong, this is how to live, whatever. He says, but the truth is it's sand. Now the nice thing is sand is easy. It's easy to work with. We live in a sandy area. It's just amazing to me. It is so easy to work with sand. I had to dig a trench out across my yard. That's no big deal. It's sand. I still remember living, moving up here six years ago. I, I had grown up, first of all, in Illinois where we have black dirt. And it's a little bit harder. You don't just dig a trench. It's work. And I get up here and I, it's like somebody had construction and left some sand around the house, but it's, that's everything. You dig as deep as you want. It's all sand. Well, it's easy. It's easy to dig. It's easy to build on it rains. I have a gutter that I still haven't figured out what to do with. Because every time it rains, whatever I've moved back in place, it's gone. Because it's on a hill. And that's the problem with sand. It's easy until the storms come. And then, gone. Well, Jesus says there's another option, and that's rock. I've lived one other place for any length of time in my life, and that's East Tennessee. So all I had at that point was Illinois. So I was used to black dirt. You had to work to dig a post hole, but it wasn't killing work. And then I moved up into the mountains of Appalachia. First of all, what they call soil is red. And after I was so, so snob from my black Illinois dirt, it was like, really? They grow things here? Just this red Georgia clay. But then I tried to dig a post hole. Well, you don't just bring a shovel or a post hole digger. You also have to bring one of those heavy pointed objects because to go down four inches, you have to first break it up because it's rock. And then you dig that, and then you break up some more four inches, and then you do it again, and then you break up another four inches. And it's hard work. But after you've done all that work, and you put that post down in there, I can guarantee you one thing. It ain't moving. It isn't moving. You see, the funny thing with rock is if it rains, the water flows around the rock. The rock doesn't get washed away. The water moves. The opposite of sand. Now what Jesus says is that's what I've, I, I've given you all these teachings. But it's up to you. You can go do what's easy. It's quick. You won't even work up a sweat. You can dig that pulse hole for your life in five minutes and go sit on the deck and have a lemonade. And you're going to feel really good about that till the storm comes. And then that little bit of work you did and that comfort you had is just going to get washed away. And your life can fall around you, your home, your marriage, your business, your morals, your reputation, trust. All those things can be destroyed around you. Because you just took whatever was easiest. You built your life on sand. Jesus is up front. He says, some of the things I'm going to call you to do, some of the things I've taught you. Turning the other cheek, forgiving, going the extra mile, always speaking truth. All those kinds of integrity issues. Jesus said, I understand this is rock. This isn't easy stuff. But if you'll build your life on these teachings, you'll be fine when the storms come. You'll be fine. But you've got to do the hard work of building on the rock. Jesus said, that's what I've tried to teach you. And I've given you the teaching, but now it's up to you. Where are you going to build your rock, your life? And I think that's a fitting challenge to leave with each of us as we end the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has given us some great teaching on a new way to live, and we really can have a better life in the new kingdom. But it's not an easier life. And it won't always be popular. It won't always be what everybody's telling us to believe or telling us to live. But Jesus never lies to us. And he never gives bad advice. If we'll follow his way and live this new way, not like everybody else. Remember the phrase we've looked at it week after week. You have been taught, but I tell you. If we'll focus on his way, and do the hard work of building on the rock, we will have a life that can never be shaken. That's where he began at the beginning with the Beatitudes. You will be blessed, even in some very difficult circumstances, if you have God, Jesus, as the rock we build upon. That's our work now that we've heard the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you for this teaching. Not just today's challenge at the end of the sermon, but the whole three chapters. It's not always the stuff we hear and that people today teach us, but it's truth and it works and it can give us a life that's solid even in the storms. Help us to go out and do the hard work now of taking what Jesus has said and really building our lives on his truth. Going down deep in the rock of Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us that rock. Help us build our lives on him. In Jesus' name.